You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Give a shout out to Pastors Darren and Beck. Um, these guys are champions. They've been walking with us in this journey of seeing lives change for, well, you did your training, started at year 20. You were with us two years before that or a year before that? So you've been with us a good, what? Yeah, so a good 21 years we've been walking together and we all look different. <laughs> you, you look young and fresh. Yeah, Tim was saying he lost weight because we go to the gym together. And I said, well, I think I found it. <laughs> so anyway, good to be at church, isn't it? Yes. Awesome. I shouldn't say good to be at church because we don't come to church. We are the church, right. Right? right? Correct me, Pastor Beck. I'm just following your lead. So shh, colored water. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that's good. That's good. Hey, we're to, uh, today's going to be a little bit different. This is not about individual ministry. It's going to have a prophetic tone to it, but a prophetic tone in the sense of adjustment. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It says in Revelation 19 that the witness of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy, right? So there's a prophetic mantle. I think the thing that, that Pastor Beck brought was so timely and so good about belonging. I, I just stood over there thinking, golly, you know, for the last 23 years, we've had um, we've had people who've been on staff or pastors of 10 different church streams come and find a home with us. Some stayed and then some moved on to other ministries and, and they came because they were broken, they were hurt, disillusioned or whatever. It's true, pastors get hurt and disillusioned. Matter of fact, the stats show that almost 50% of Australia's pastors either burn out or on the way to burn out. And, and many of them quit ministry and never go back again. So, so you think you got to put up with one of us. We have to put up with a lot of you. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, careful. But I think it's, it's, it's a hallmark of belonging. You know, when people can come in, whether you're a pastor or not, you come in and you're broken. But I'm also aware that there is no perfect church. People can get broken by us and need to go get refreshed, you know, and things like that because we're not perfect. But this series of belonging, I want to pick up something today and I want to bring this prophetic edge to it that's going to adjust us because something in the church has been lost. Um, Maybe misunderstood, at best misplaced. And, and when it comes to the issue and the truth of belonging, something has been watered down. And it's called covenant. Now, the, the deal is, you know, the issue of covenant has kind of been lost, and we're going to talk about that today. But in order for us to get this, two things have got to happen, okay? Here's the first thing. We've got to see how much we have actually been affected by the spirit of the age. Listen to me. It's like we, we don't want to admit it, but we're in this fog called a world system. And we walk around in it as if it is normal. And it has shaped our values more than we'd like to admit. One of my, uh, one of my professors at university said, he, he likened it like this. He said, one day I took a friend out to lunch. It was midday, bright sunshine. And we walked into this restaurant and it was dimly lit. And as a matter of fact, we couldn't hardly see the... the uh, the, the waiter had to lead us to our table and he sat us down, put the, put the, hello, put the uh, menu right in front of us and, and he said to the waiter, man, I can't even see the thing, much less read it and choose what I'm going to eat. He, and the waiter said this, just wait, just wait. 
you'll be in the darkness long enough very soon to where you will adjust to the darkness and you'll see everything clearly. We have lived in the darkness long enough that we think we're seeing clearly. And we, today, we've got to get this thing that, yes, I have been affected by the spirit of the age more than I would like to admit it. Like, like this. The spirit of the age says we do relationship by contract. Sylvester Stallone, when he married his whatever, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh wife, he actually wrote in the vows, I will keep you as long as I love you. Mm-hmm. See, we, we, we have prenuptials and things like that, or we're driven by consumerism. The current age is driven by consumerism. I mean, I'm amazed at, I'll just say it quietly, don't record it, my kids, how quickly their furniture wears out. Uh, you know, I just kind of want to stay near their house and get what they're throwing out because it's better than what I've got. Oh, Dad, it's old. What do you mean it's old? It's three years. You've had it three years. Yeah, I know, but it's old. Gone like that consumerism because we are bombarded with this society that says you got to get this to get better you got to have that to look cooler you got to have that to be popular all this stuff and we don't even know that these things have affected our faith listen to me like this like this we even look around at people within the church and go you know I think I'll relate to you as long as you meet my needs now we don't say that but we choose our friends even in the house of God depending on what they can do for me. Or here's another one. Um, You know, we're kind of feeling the season's over. Yeah, I love that one. I love that one. Um, We're looking looking around for another church. You know, one that has a better group system or youth program or children's program. You know what that's called? Church shopping. Serious. Now, friend of mine who wrote a book, great book called Above the Line. He's trying to help us get revelation on this. And he said this, Christians in Western society live in a world that shouts to them to consume. Loyalty to many businesses has been replaced by where can I get the best deal? You ever go shopping with me? They call me Abrahamic Edwards. So it's a combination of Scottish and Jewish because I will shop till I get the best deal. I don't even realize how much I enjoy that. But when it comes to the house of God, to me, it's sport. It's not the purchase, it's the kill. You know, okay. Okay, so, so, so if another church is offering better goods and services, the need of the consumer will influence the need as to which church they will attend. I don't hear people saying, oh, we, we went to that church because it just felt like home. Oh, we went to that church because the, 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 the people so love each other. Oh, the vision is so great. No, no, they've got a great building. You ought to see their youth group. Man, listen to their music. I preached in churches in Fiji that were out under corrugated steel with bamboo poles holding them up. And I'm telling you, I haven't sensed the presence of God anywhere stronger than that. All the smoke and clouds and lights and screens and the way we dress or don't dress will not bring the presence of God. And so I'm not going to choose according to smokes and screen and all that stuff. I'm going to choose where God is at. So we need to realize we've been baptized into this age more than we'd like to admit. And it has shaped our choices. Secondly, and by the way, not just for church, even for marriage. (gasps) Okay. Second thing, what we need to do today before we can get this is to ask the Holy Spirit to transform our understanding and practice of what it means to belong to the Father's house. 
Because, you know, when Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, and he said, you know, I'm beseeching you, therefore, brethren, mercies of God, you give your bodies living sacrifice. He followed that with the very next phrase. And do not be conformed. Don't get shaped by the pattern of this world. We read that and go, right, don't read pornography, don't look at pornography, don't, don't get drunk, don't do drugs. How about don't think wrong? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if I think I'm here to consume from you, I'm going to treat you like a product, not a person of great value. Wow. So let me just pray this over us right now, because if the Holy Spirit doesn't do this work, you're going to get about 40 minutes worth of I didn't like that. (laughs) True. I'm preaching it. I'm preaching it, and I'm not sure I like it. Because I know that if I try to do it, in my own strength, I'm just living like a club member. So, Romans chapter 12. Don't read there. I'm going to pray this. Father, I pray right now. You said, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. That's my choice. I choose right now, and I pray all of us will choose to say no to the values that are around us, that are even molding and shaping us in ways we don't even understand. But God, you said, but be transformed. I can't change myself, but God, I can surrender to you, the Holy Spirit. And I surrender my heart, my mind, my emotions, my relationships, the things I don't like, the people I don't like. God, transform me. I want to be transformed by the renewing, the making new of my soul, by the power of your Holy Spirit that lives within. I pray this will be a prophetic moment for me and everyone in this building because something's got to change. We can't continue the way we are because we're just going to be another club. So, Father, change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, a little bit of background on covenant. It's not, a, it's not a word we use often. Hey, Darren, let's go have a covenant moment. You know, we don't, we don't use that word. Maybe you heard it at a wedding, right? Or you read it in the Old Testament. Okay. Let's, let's talk about what is covenant. What's the idea? What's the plan? What was it all about? Well, first you need to know that God initiated covenant. It wasn't somebody's idea. Ah, I think I need to have a covenant with God, whatever that is. Didn't work that way. God initiated it. Second, covenant is one of the most central themes in the Bible, both Old and New Testament. Not just old. People go, yeah, old covenant. It's not in the New Testament. Jesus did away with it. I beg your pardon. He didn't do away with it. He fulfilled it and gave a new one. Okay, let me keep going. We'll get there. The old covenant of, of, there were many old covenants, by the way, but the one that created the law that determined what you do, what you don't do is called the Mosaic Covenant. All right? That covenant was fulfilled and replaced by the new covenant made by Jesus' death on the cross. We don't live by a system of rules and laws. And it's funny, I hear some church people today go, oh, pastor, can I still do that? You know, could, can, it's a funny thing. Could, could I still run a marathon on Sunday morning or would God be mad at me? And I go, hang on a minute. Who made a rule that you can't have a Sunday where you enjoy life? Now, I'm not talking about missing church all the time. You need to hear me on that. But I'm saying you don't need to get permission because you go, yeah, I ticked the box. It's not an issue of permission. It's an issue of passion. All right. So let me keep going. Let me keep going. I'm just kind of saying, unpacking. So the deal is this. What is a covenant? A covenant was an agreement between two parties in which one or both made promises under oath 
and outlines the rights and responsibilities of the covenant. Don't try to write all that down. A, but the closest thing we have in the West to a covenant is a contract. The difference is the contract is a legal binding thing till one of you breaks it and then you're in trouble. God never meant the covenant to be like that. God meant the covenant to be a relational thing that you do because you want to, not because you have to. All right. Let me just keep going. I'll unpack it, unpack it. There's so much. I couldn't even get into it today. But sometimes a covenant was meant to be so powerful, it was made by blood. It's called a blood covenant. Right? That's a weird one. Like, don't try that at home. Okay? And it first appears in Genesis 15. What did you say? Nah. As a matter of fact, some of my ancestors, the American Indians, would do that, but we're not doing that. That'll do, baby. That'll do. Okay. Yeah, they used to, they used to take their knife and cut their hand and then put their blood together, called a blood covenant. That's the closest that it comes to my line, but it first appears in Genesis 15. Did your people do that too, Patrick? Oh, wow. That's amazing, isn't it? It's right across oceans. and Isn't it amazing what appears? It's almost like God instituted and ordained something. So in Genesis 15, it first appears. God comes back to Abraham 10 years after Genesis 12. You wouldn't believe that it took him three chapters, 10 years to write three chapters. Okay. You didn't get that one, did you? Okay. Chapter 12 to chapter 15 is a 10-year gap. Chapter 12, God says to Abram, I'm going to ha- give you a lot of kids, and he's got none, and he's an old man. You get to chapter 15, and God visits Abram again and walks him outside and said, look at the stars. That's how many kids you're going to have. Now, this time, Abram goes, yeah, right. Abraham, or Abram at that point did say, so how are you going to prove it? He didn't say those words, but that's what he was saying. So God says, right, you little smart aleck. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take three animals. I want you to cut them in two pieces each. And I want you to line them parallel on the ground and we're going to do a blood covenant. Because in a blood covenant, they would lay the dead animals with the blood each side and the two parties would walk between the animals until they got to the end, turn around and look and say, if I break the conditions of that covenant and don't keep it, you can do to me what was done to the animals. That's how strong a blood covenant was. They didn't have to say, trust me, I'm a man of my word. No, you're you're a man that's going to bleed if you don't do this, right? So, but in Abraham's case, or Abram, God didn't let him walk between the pieces. Made him go to sleep. Gave him a dream, a vision of only God himself with his presence and his holiness walking between the dead animals in the blood and turning and looking and saying, so shall my word be to you, Abraham. I will never break this. It will be a sign to you forever. First time that God in history reached down out of heaven and chose a people and said, this will now be my people and it will never stop. Even down to Galatians, it says, we are children of Abraham by faith. How good is that? But how did it happen? The same way it happened to Abraham, it happened in the new covenant. Blood was shed. Jesus hung between heaven and earth and cried out, it is, say it, finished. Blood covenant, which is an amazing thing. It's an incredible thing. Jesus not only fulfilled the requirements of the old covenant, he inaugurated a new covenant. And the book of Hebrews says it's far better. 
It doesn't just give you temporary forgiveness and cleansing so you have to keep doing offerings. It literally cleanses you from the inside out. Gives you a new heart. The people of the new covenant are a people with a new heart. That's key. All right. Well, I'm running out of time. So, as Christians, we're people of the new covenant. Right? Yes? yes. Got it? Just stay with me because this is prophetic. And Jesus said, it's my blood that created this new covenant. And see, this, this new covenant, as he's saying this, they're taking supper and he takes the bread and he breaks it and he takes the wine and he goes, this is my blood. Now, if you didn't understand the symbolism, you'd go, golly, it's a, this is a cannibalistic cult. Talk about C's, double C, C2, cannibalistic cult. Anyway, um, we could have three C's, cannibalistic cult community. There you go. So. All right. As he is taking that wine and he's saying blood shed for forgiveness, all of a sudden they're Jews. Their minds are, are tracing all the way back to the promise of Abraham. And that promise still stood and still stands today because God made it. He will never break it and nothing will violate it. Period. Period. He will have a people on the planet who belong to the Father's house because He walked between heaven and earth with the blood of a lamb and said, forgiven. And it will never stop. Okay. So verse 26 of Matthew 26. Jesus took bread. He blessed and broke it and gave, gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. It, it's, it's almost like it's, it, it, it just blew their minds because they're going, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. We've never thought of bread as his body and, and wine as his blood. What, what's going on here? They just didn't get it that he's saying, I'm about to make a covenant that will never be superseded, sealed in my blood. I will never revoke it and I will never take it away from you. And then he took the cup. He gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. In this moment, Jesus announced that a new greater covenant between God and man was made. Period. It was a covenant that was born, listen to me, a covenant that was born not out of rules and regulations, but out of the love of God. Matter of fact, I could take you all the way back to the Adamic covenant, if there is, they, they, they argue about how many covenants are in history, but some will take one to Adam, all the way back to Adam. I can trace you all the way through every covenant that there is this thread of the love of God and the redemption of humanity all the way from Adam down to us going, it has been the Father's will and heart and plan from day one to make an agreement with us that I will love you and I will make you my family. Okay, I will not violate it. And he actually said, I'm never gonna leave you nor forsake you, never. Because as Jesus is showing here at communion, we, he didn't call it that. He just literally took bread and went, my body, took a cup, my blood. And they're going, what the? However, they said that in Aramaic. And he's going, love equals sacrifice. Listen to me. A covenant is one made by love, not by law. 
It's a covenant of love and it's with a sacrifice because there is no true covenant without love. Now, there is no true love without sacrifice. Oh, I know there are levels of love, but I'm talking about the strongest, truest form of love cannot take place until somebody lays down something and said, that's dead to me. It doesn't exist to me. You do. Mm. So let's keep moving. The hallmark of this new covenant wasn't just, love wasn't just the hallmark. It, It literally became the standard by which we live. Keep tracking with me because a new covenant leads to a new commandment Jesus said I'm going to give you a new commandment as if the old wasn't good enough now that's not what he's saying he's saying I fulfilled the old but I'm going to give you something new and here it is I'm going to give you a commandment that is just kind of different to what you're expecting because this new covenant brings a new way of living Mm mm-hmm And to their surprise, it's not a bunch of laws that legislates their conduct. If you do that, I'll stay with you. If you don't do that, I'll leave you. Mm -mm. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll love you forever. God's love is not limited and it's not conditional. You ought to get that through the story of the prodigal son. The key feature there is not the boy coming home. The key feature there is that the dad wanted him to come home and never stopped loving him. The boy came home and said, I'm a servant. He goes, no, you're not. You're my son. And that's what God said this new covenant is like. Yeah, it's a commandment, but it's a commandment of the heart, not of rules. Jesus said in John 13, 34, See, I know why it goes quiet, because every little religious voice is screaming in your head, yeah, but I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to keep this, I've got to keep that. I'm not talking about obedience and faith here. I'm talking about God's part, okay? You've got to make sure you're in that with Him by faith, just like Abraham. But there are no rules. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a right way to live. Not even addressing that, because your head's going, oh, yeah, but, oh, yeah, but what about don't touch the paint when it's wet? You know, every person, every person sees that sign. You know the first thing you do. You walk up and touch it. The law was never meant to stop somebody from sinning. It was meant to show you that you can't help but sin. Okay? And Jesus said this, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this, not by your rules, not by your piety and your, we're not like the sinners. But by this, everybody will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. You know the context leading up to this. The context headed to the upper room. you got to get the picture. It's, It's hilarious. James and John are fighting, trying to get the prime positions in the kingdom. Right? We want to sit on your right and left. They know we're headed to Jerusalem. Something's about to happen. The kingdom's coming. We want prime spots. So they did the bravest thing, the sons of thunder. They go get mama to ask Jesus. Can my boys, the sons of thunder, I, you know, I used to think they'd have lightning and whatnot tattooed on their arm. They probably had mother. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're pushing for power in this kingdom. And Jesus just, he sits there and shakes his head. Golly, you guys don't get it, you know. 
And he tells them in this context, one of you is actually going to betray me. <gasps> then they turn and look at each other. Him, no. Her, no. Not me, definitely not me. And Judas, as we know, has already conspired to do that. You know what's interesting? Even though Judas had already met with the officials, decided on how much he was going to get paid, waiting for the right opportunity, he still let Jesus do the next thing. Not just, not just tell him all this stuff, but he washed his feet. Would you wash the feet of somebody who betrayed you? Hmm. That's one that I don't want to preach on. Okay. So Jesus now serves the supper, leading them to the cross. He stoops and washes their feet. Then he says, do that to each other. There are some churches today that literally practice foot washing. If you watch on television, you'll see the Pope do that now and then. And you go, why won't anybody touch my feet? I kick them in the face. Can't stand people touching my feet. You miss the whole thing because love doesn't just equal sacrifice. Love equals humility. You can't live in this kind of covenant and be proud. You can't have a ladder of who's most important. You've got to be willing to stoop and serve one another, but not just serve. What did he do when he washed their feet? He didn't just serve them. You know what he did? What did he do? He cleansed them and covered them. And Peter goes, wash all of me, typical Peter. And he goes, Peter, back off, man. He says, you've already been cleansed. You just get a little bit dirty in life. You just need the occasional washing. You don't need a bath. You just need the occasional. So people in church occasionally get dirty. So what do we do with them? Do we crucify them? Or do we stoop and serve them and cover them? What did Peter say? Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. A couple of years ago at our national conference, Pastor Phil said, he, he was talking about the culture of C3 and he said this, love is the culture of the Father's house. And it's this kind of love. And you know when Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new commandment, you love one another, you know it really wasn't new? <gasps> Keith, he was lying. No, he wasn't lying. He wasn't lying. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 8, it says, love your neighbors, you love yourself. This isn't new. To love others isn't new. But the type of love they were to give to others was totally brand new, right? And the depth of this love they had never experienced before. It was always conditional. Always, I wash your feet if, after I wash your feet, you do this. Isn't it interesting? You read the story of the prodigal son. Never once, never once, never once did the father say to him, you can come in the house if you keep the rules this time. You know, one of the things, if the story, remember, it's a story. It's not a real life. It's not a real person. But if the story were extrapolated out and the son stuffed up again, what would the father do? Same thing he did the first time. Come home, son. Still my son. How many times do we stuff up that God says, just, just come back in. Just come home. You belong here. And the deal is this, it's not possible to love in this way in my own emotions or strength. I, I can't do that. There was a time with Tim Roberts. Sorry, Tim, I'm gonna pick on you, you're here. There's a time with Tim Roberts that we were meeting after things happened. And uh, you know, I, I, I'd take a bullet for him. 
he's a son. But there was a time I got so damn frustrated with him, I wanted to kick his butt from here to kingdom come. Right? Didn't I? I got angry with him. But I never stopped loving him. You know, and, and, and I got angry with him, but I never stopped covering his sin. And I won't. Because it's not my job to expose, it's my job to cover and to heal. All right? But I can't do that in my own strength. My own strength went, I just want to beat Tim like a red-headed stepchild. You know, it's like, I'm so angry at him right now. That was my emotions. And then to serve him, you know, to stoop down and wash his feet and cover him and cleanse him. God, I'll, I'll, take, I'll, I'll take a smacking on his behalf. Man, I couldn't do that. It's like, I want to beat him. And then promote him. People have asked me, could Tim ever be in ministry again? And I went, well, he is. What do you mean? It's almost like you become totally disqualified because you did something wrong. The only thing that's ever going to disqualify you is a thing called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The grace of God is much bigger than anything we could ever do wrong. Come on. Come on. I'm not saying we excuse. I'm saying we help them get cleansed. I'm so glad God has restored me on occasions. None of your business what he did. Anyway, (laughs) but I, look, I I just can't do this unless I am filled with a love and a power that's bigger than me. And Paul said this in Romans chapter five, verse five, hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I've had a love poured out into my heart. How can I not cover yeah, I get angry. Yeah, I get frustrated. Yeah, I want to smack them like a redheaded stepchild. But somewhere in there, love starts bubbling and going, what about you? Because covenant comes from the heart. It's a heart that has experienced the love of God beyond something that is normally human. Because here's the deal. If I receive it, I can freely give it. Right? Okay. So, a covenant, a new covenant leads to a new commandment that is lived out by a new community. See where it leads to? New covenant, new commandment, new community. The Father's house. And Jesus talks in many metaphors, or the Bible does. The Bible uses many metaphors to describe us as we are. Church is a funny word. Christians Christianized the word church. It was a very non-Christian word that meant a public gathering, usually non-religious. And Paul's the one that Christianized it. But he calls us a lot of things. He calls us a family. He said, you are a family who gets its name from God himself. Okay, that's good. You are members. You are a household. You are a temple. He uses all these different words to get, get us to get an idea of what's going on. You are, you are God's family. You are his body. This new community called the church, it's got a bond you're not going to find anywhere else. Now, now, don't expect it to be perfect, but it's certainly in love. And we're not alone. We do belong, not to an organization, but we belong to a family. Funny, Jesus was healing one day and his mother and his brothers were outside, couldn't get in because of the crowd. And, and they thought they'd interrupt him. Hey, your mom and 
brothers are out there. They want to get in. Give them a special place. And he looked all around this crowded room and said, these are all my mothers and brothers. Now, he wasn't disregarding and dishonoring his family. What he was doing at that stage was enlarging his family. And we look around a room. You can walk in a room of believers and go, my family. Especially the one you belong to is even far better because covenant is about relationship and belonging. In Romans chapter 12, verse 4, watch the words that Paul uses. Just as each of us has one body, he uses the metaphor now like your body is not a bunch of parts scattered across a room. If it is, call the coroner. All right? You're connected. You're empowered together. You're one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body. Watch this next phrase. And each member belongs to all the others. I belong to you. Whether you like it or not, you can't choose your relatives. I'm one of your relatives, right? But even better than that, listen, if covenant is about relationship and belonging, then relationship means commitment. It's far more than a contract that says, you know, I'll, I'll like you guys so long as you. You know, I'll like you guys so long as you tithe. Nothing against tithing, but that shouldn't be the basis on which I love you. And you should tithe whether I love you or not. It's true. But relationship, there's also loyalty. How deep does your loyalty go? Jesus said in John 15, he said, no greater love has anyone than this. Like he actually said to him, I'm not going to call you servants anymore. I'm going to call you a friend. And they went, oh, that's nice. So good. I feel warm in the heart, you know. But then he went further and said, but there's no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. It's not just a warmth of the heart. It's a commitment of loyalty. And the deal is this, our allegiance to each other is not based on what we get out of the relationship, but on who we are in the relationship. Won't you let that soak in just for a minute? Our allegiance to each other is not based on what we get out of the relationship, but who we are in the relationship. We are his body together. We are his family. We are members of God's household. And as Eugene Peterson put it in the message, you belong here. Because loyalty is lived out in devotion and honor. You kind of pick up, I like Romans, particularly Romans 12. Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Do you know the, the, the brotherly love is affectionate love? It's not even just a choice, but all of a sudden we start feeling for each other. Honor one another above yourselves. That's when I know we're being loyal. That's when I know we're living in covenant because my devotion to you is to honor you and to love you. And I want to tell you, church, it's time to rise up and be different. We can't be like the world. It's time for the church to stop consuming and start caring. It's time for us to be devoted to each other because by this, they're going to know we belong to the Father's house. 
When they read the story, hear the story of the, the lost son, they go, oh, it's just like the people over at Northwest. They do that to each other and to those that aren't even there yet. They love one another. By this, the city will know you. Not by your screens and your smoke and your fancy things and all that. Those things are nice, don't get me wrong. But the thing that will draw people to the kingdom of God is this affection and devotion that goes far deeper than life itself. Let's stand our feet. I said this was going to be prophetic. It, It wasn't really about individual ministry. Um, because this is a choice we have to make together. Because every one of us are going to struggle to love like this. We get hurt, we get disillusioned, we get rejected. But when we've got people around us where there is acceptance, there is inclusion, there is belonging, there is devotion, there is honor because we are members of one another, it is easier to get over the pain of the hurt. It's not whether we will get hurt one day, it's what do we do when we get hurt. Do I turn to the people I love or do I turn away from them? Is it a contract or is it a covenant? And I think it's time for the church to rise up and say, by this, the people of the city will know that we belong in the Father's house. Yeah, they're going to think we're a bit weird, but sometimes weird is attractive. And this is what makes us attractive. We cover each other. We honour each other. We believe in each other. We belong to each other. The tie is so strong that it just changes life itself. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.